As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. And I'm Ben. And... I don't want to die. I'm just going to put that out there, Ben. Cool. I can respect that. Yeah? Yeah. You, you see you see where I'm going? I, you just, I really don't want to die. Yeah, I uh, don't want to die either. There are quite a few people who have quarreled with the idea of death recently in the news. And when I say the idea of death, what I mean specifically is there are quite a few people who have said, you know, Immortality may be attainable within our lifetimes. Uh, the Guardian, a while back, published a sort of timeline estimation that was very optimistic and said that by 2050, immortality of some sort would be within the grasp of human beings. Man, that is, uh, I just want it to be true. So before we continue with this, today's episode, by the way, is the future of death. And Matt, you and I have explored this concept in all sorts of ways, right? Yeah, just looking at over the span of history, how how hard we have struggled to conquer death. And in so many, so many different ways, we try to conquer death by uh, making, you know, um, entire religions by, you know, belief structures to conquer death. Sure. We're building legacies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many ways that we've attempted to do it. But so far, at least that we're aware of, no one has been successful. Yeah. At this point, there has not been a single universally accepted 
account of someone communicating from after death, right, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, returning after death. Now, of course, there are entire belief systems built around that, and there are countless personal anecdotes of things like encounters with ghosts, right, mm-hmm. or reincarnation. Um, you can find some uh, very disturbing and fascinating quotations from children who allegedly say things that indicate they had died. One of my favorites was uh, in, in this list I saw recently, a little girl was hanging out and talking with her family or something about being in a car, being in some situation she had never been in. And they said, oh, what happened that day? Said, oh, we were in the car and there was a fire. Uh, mommy and my dad were fine, but I sure wasn't. <laughs> or something like that. Well, you know, I have a cousin who swears that she was um, a Chinese man uh, in her previous life, and she can recount. Well, uh, you can sit there and listen to her and tell you stories, uh, stories and stories and stories about her life, uh-huh. about her wife, about her children, and all this stuff. It's, it's interesting. It's fascinated me since I was a kid. She would tell me stories when she was uh, when I was younger about mm-hmm. this. And you guys haven't corroborated it yet? No, not yet. I haven't found uh, the evidence Don't historically. Don't break the illusion if there is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, reincarnation is a fascinating topic all its own, and there's some really excellent uh, pieces of research and anecdotes and legends that we can bring to bear on that. I think we'll call it a story for another day. As long as we live through this podcast without dying, we would like to present to you guys the future of death. Now I'm just terrified that I'm going to just croak right here on this mic. So what is death then in the time we have? <laughs> okay, so death would be when your vital, well, there are a couple of things, but okay. the first one is when your vital cell function ceases to occur. Okay, uh, so like physical physical death, death of the body. Yes, absolutely. And and that includes physical death of the brain, brain activity, when that ceases. Oh, okay. All right. So that would be, that would be something where you just sort of become a lump of material. So yes. there's no, there's no vital functions, no electrical activity in the brain, uh, no heartbeat, cardiac activity, none of that. Yes. And very soon after that happens, uh, your cells start to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can, you can kind of look at that process to verify that death has occurred. Ah, yes. Okay. So we do have physical proof of what happens to the body after death. There is a second definition of death, which comes to us from Harvard's medical, uh, Harvard's medical elite, uh, mm-hmm. some time ago, a few decades back. Uh, and they talked about the concept of brain death. Now, This might be a part, listeners, where you say, hang on, didn't you guys just talk about brain death? Sort of, but here's the big difference. Brain death is um, maybe recognized as a persistent persistent vegetative state, right? So this means that your body cells are still able to function, usually with some sort of assistance. Yeah, respirator, respirator. That's the most common thing you'll see, right. someone hooked up to a respirator. But. Sure, intravenous fluids, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but the brain death is called this because there is a cessation of conscious brain activity. So we know a little bit about the brain, we being scientists, uh, such that we know that the for forward-facing part of the brain, 
uh, is where a lot of the who am I kind mm-hmm. of things occur in your head. And when that stuff stops, we have a whole new definition of death because we have the body, but not the mind. We have the form, but not the function. So we know then that the body with some assistance can continue after the, after the end of the observable consciousness. However, we don't know if the reverse is true. And with these, with these two definitions of death, we also know a lot about, to paraphrase Donald Rumsfeld, we know a lot of what we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, so, okay. The big question is what happens then after that occurs when our brain just, when we don't know that we are anymore, like we don't know that we exist anymore. Okay. Um, and our body perhaps is still functioning in some way. But if you took the respirators off, if you took all the machinery away, then the body would probably in many cases mm-hmm. begin to die. But what happens to you? The person I'm speaking to right now that's hearing this in your ears, what happens to you when you die? And herein lies the biggest question. Perhaps, uh, we've talked about this before, Ben, this is perhaps the biggest question out there. Yeah. This is the, uh, this is the great daily double or, uh, final answer situation in human existence because we know that there are Literally thousands, and that's lowballing it, my mm-hmm. friend. Literally thousands of ideas of what happens post death. Uh, atheists may say that, of course, there is no, um, there's no real consciousness. That's just sort of an illusion produced by biochemical reactions in our brains. Uh, there will be people of various different spiritual bents who say that there is a very specific choice of afterlife or that the the mind is somehow recycled into another person via reincarnation uh but but the big problem ben yeah is that we currently and have never to this date found a way to measure what happens uh or to, to measure consciousness after death or to measure you know there there's no way to um to look at it you can't look at it with a microscope. You can't look at it with any kind of imaging. If there is something that persists after death outside of the physical body, we haven't found a way yet, at least. Yeah, that's a very good point. We being unable to really measure, quantify consciousness independent mm-hmm. of a physical medium. Uh, we have, we don't have the tools to figure out what we're trying to measure. You know, if we assume then that consciousness, as we understand it, is some sort of energy, then that gets us to a better place, but that doesn't get us yet to a place where we can we can measure this. Most of the things we know about consciousness that are quantifiable are based on our understanding of the way the conscious mind relates to a physical medium. And once those two are divorced uh, on during the process of death, then we don't have any way to track it. So one of the most pragmatic things that I've personally heard about it is that it is as brash to assume that there is no continuation as it is to assume that there is. There's Mm. literally no information. I'd like to take a second as a total sidebar and mention one of the uh, driest books that I have ever read. Okay. And that's saying a lot because I read a lot of dry books. Um, 
So this book, which we can fairly call a tome, called The Denial of Death, is about something called thanatology, and that's the study of death. The premise of the book, let me save you some reading time, and a spoiler alert, is simply this, that the human fear of the unknown events called death is so pervasive that everything we do in life, all the human institutions and constructions, are merely, at basis, a way of distracting ourselves from the inescapable and terrifying fact that one day we will be no more. Wow, the great bleakness. I know, man. Only philosophers can manage that level of bleakness. <laughs> but we do know, of course, that um, death is, in addition to a horrifying philosophical quandary, it's also part of the nature of existence on this planet. For almost every life form. Death is programmed in our genes, and we we know a little bit about the science of this. We're learning more and more every day, right? Oh, yeah. So all of the cells that make up your body, Mm -hmm. um, they have this basically a timeline that they can divide a certain amount of times. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how many that is, but once they've reached their limit, they die. They They cease to function. Right. Well, they, they enter a non-dividing state, right? And this is replicative senescence. Um, senescence is aging, right? So they mm-hmm. age out of their reproductive period of their life, just the same way that as human beings, the great uh, conglomerations of cells that we are, will ultimately age to a point where we cannot reproduce. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of research currently on something called telomere shortening, telomere shortening, uh, which scientists believe may be the molecular clock that triggers this aging. And the idea here is kind of exciting because it makes us think, well, if we could prevent these things from shortening with every cell division, then perhaps we could create a situation in which a cell continually divides. Yeah, or at least elongate it to an extent where we're living at twice as many years mm-hmm. as we normally would, maybe five times as many years, mm-hmm. if not, in, you know, yeah. infinitely, which is in itself a terrifying thought. Immortality it, is another one of those uh, uh, great curses and uh, what a power and a curse. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mo millennium, mo problems. Right? Yes, exactly. So uh, that's a great segue, Matt. So immortality, what... What the hell is immortality? <laughs> well, it's a uh, okay. So immortality, Ben, is when either the mind or uh, the body continues on with its vital functions for an indefinite period, which could be, you know, a very long period or just forever. Ah, okay, I see. And then we're we're verging on some questions that we'll we'll hit up toward the end of this podcast too. So. Let's stick with the facts at the first part. It sounds like there are different types of immortality from, mm-hmm. from that definition. Uh, number one, let's just address the biggest elephant in the room of this debate, and that is physical immortality. The idea that you could answer the question in that Queen song and say, yes, I want to live forever, mm-hmm. um, turns out that you wouldn't be the first, there are versions of physical immortality that we have observed uh, in 
your lifetime listeners in Matt's lifetime and my lifetime, they're real immortals. Um, but as we're going to find out, they don't all have the nice kind of immortality you would want. All of the immortality that we're about to talk about in the, in the physical sense, uh, has some pretty hefty strings attached. Yeah, there's a catch. There's a catch. In the case of a little jellyfish called Turritopsis, or Turritopsis, um, you can be an immortal in a cyclical way. So this very interesting, tiny little creature, uh, it has its juvenile state and it grows to maturity and if something happens to it, if it is injured or traumatized, then it will return to its juvenile state and grow up again. So that's a weird version of immortality because what that means for you and I, Matt, is, for instance, if we underwent a uh, traumatic physical event, if our podcast studio caught on fire and you had, you know, 85% of your body burned, then instead of dying or slowly recuperating in a burn ward, you would turn into a baby. Yeah, I would. And you would grow up again. Wow. And who knows if you would have the same memories, because again, this is something that happens to jellyfish, uh, which have a very, very different structure. Okay. So speaking of retaining memories, mm. say, say you like that idea, but you want to retain your memories. Definitely. Right on. Well, you could go the way of the planarian or the flatworm. These things are fascinating. You can cut off a piece of a planarian uh-huh. and it will regrow the little piece. Both of them will regrow, but the little piece will become another flatworm and it will retain all of the, um, the information from the parent, from the one, the part uh-huh. that got chopped off. And so in this sense, you could have mortality in that you could make infinite copies of yourself. Um, at least for, starting from one state mm-hmm. and live forever that way if you really wanted. So you could cut yourself in half and then two of you could continue and then just keep cutting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a, a weird form of cloning. Yeah. Which is a weird form of immortality. Yeah, there you go. Um, multiplicity jokes, uh, could go in here. Write mm-hmm. to us if you have one. <laughs> uh, but that is not the end of it. The true Frightening fact about physical immortality is that there is a human being who has achieved immortality with an asterisk. And one of the crappiest, most cruel and unfair uh, situations in medical history, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Henrietta Lacks, and we did a full episode on her, and I urge you to check it out. It's a fascinating um, and pretty horrifying story. So Henrietta Lacks had cancer, and when her cancer was discovered, without her knowledge, uh, her treating physicians took some of these cancer cells, and Henrietta Lacks, the human being Henrietta Lacks, mm-hmm. passed away. Her cancer cells, now known as HeLa cancer cells, uh, continue today. They're still alive. Yeah. They don't seem to behave the way that human cells should, of course, because they are cancerous cells. Uh, but in a very strange way, this is sort of immortality. And not only is this immortality, but if we look at the philosophical ideas of immortality, this is a legacy because 
the use of these cells has revolutionized modern medicine. Of course, her estate uh, and her survivors were we're screwed. There's yeah. no other way to put it. Uh, it's a gross violation of medical ethics. It reminds me in some ways of the gross violations of ethics done by the Japanese and the Nazis and, admittedly, the United States at various times in the history of experimentation. Yes, I, I can't urge you enough to go and watch that video. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men... How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's Dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. 
Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So here's another thing, Ben. Mm. If I, let's say, let's say one of my kidneys is failing. Okay. And I need to get another one um, because the other one isn't doing so well either. Okay. And you volunteer to give me your kidney. All right. And the, the transplant goes swimmingly. Everything seems to be running pretty well. You're doing all right with your one kidney, but then you tragically get in a in a car accident. Yeah. And you die. Yeah. But your organs still exist inside me, along with your cells that are being reproduced. So am I still in some way alive? I don't know. What do you think? I would say because it's not a brain transplant, I'm not. However, okay. however, we do know that this the the concept of organ transplants has caused a huge uproar in a lot of religious circles because there is a question of you know the identity of someone mm-hmm. um the especially for people who have strict laws about what is um kosher or what is halal you know um what can what is unclean to be put in your body if it could someone from a different religion have that um interesting now as far as i know those rulings the the religious council rulings on those sorts of things vary widely not just across religions but within um within denominations or facets of those religions and we know that that would not necessarily be immortality so much as extending a little bit of your lifespan yeah it's similar to the henry henrietta lax thing where it's the cells, but it is not you. Right. Yeah. Very good point. And of course, none of these methods that we just described, jellyfish, planarian, Henrietta Lacks, even organ transplants, none of these are the ideal version of immortality because most people, when we think about living forever, we picture something kind of along the lines of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dorian Gray, uh, as most people will recall, is a famous story by Oscar Wilde about this guy who is just a total dick. He's a jerk. He's a douchebag. Uh, but he never ages. Uh, he never has, he's never out of shape. He never has to misbehave because he has a magic painting in his attic. And this painting registers the ravages of time, uh, and also the inner um, the inner evil of his personality as he does increasingly depraved and, and bad things. But most people picture this sort of in the prime of life, unaging forever. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the dream, I guess. That's the ideal version of immortality to be young forever mm-hmm. and just do all of the things you've ever wanted to do. Right. And, and that has to do with not necessarily, it has to do with keeping your body alive. Forever, but mostly it has to do with keeping your conscious mind alive to be aware 
forever that ah, you are yeah. something. Yeah, that's a big part of it too because um I as as we'll see mental immortality might not just be more desirable but also more plausible mm-hmm. in within our lifetimes. Mental uh immortality is becoming increasingly plausible every single year. We're already so far ahead of what we were doing in 2012, 2001, uh, just, just by virtue of ongoing research. Um, but there are different types of mental immortality that, that are all a little closely related. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what's the first one? So it's essentially a virtual impression of someone, like of their personality. Um, so it's kind of like, um, a really, uh, a high definition, high fidelity recording of you that is not you. It's just the way you might act that kind of exists in a cloud or in the cloud mm-hmm. as bits of data somewhere of how you would react to certain things, what you like, your preferences, the way you respond to questions and comments. Um, and it's, you know, it's basically just bits. Uh, yeah, it's bits of data mm-hmm. um, that is. An impersonation of you. Sort of curated. And, yeah, oh, sure. And, uh, one of the big questions is, uh, how that would react to unforeseen or new circumstances. So, for instance, if we took the idea of Thomas Jefferson, just, just okay. for example, mm-hmm. uh, we took Thomas Jefferson, somehow traveled through time, downloaded his brain, made a virtual copy of it and brought it to this world now, wow. there's so many concepts that the real Thomas Jefferson would be unaware of. So after having these explained, you know, would this AI, the question then is, would this AI be capable of learning? Interesting. That's Taking what, on new information. Yeah. Right. And, and applying. And if so, how would it apply? Because uh, one thing that a lot of us fail to realize about um, interaction with learning or, or, or with any new information is that it is a two way street. You know, uh, it, it can change your external environment, but it also changes you like the old, I can't remember the old, uh, saying, you know, stare long enough into the abyss and it's yeah, in every it horror back. movie yeah. and it stares back at you. <laughs> um, usually followed by someone saying, I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh, yes. Right? Um, so there, there's another type, um, which is, a little bit different, but it's, it's very similar. And that's the idea of a distributed network intelligence. And what this would be instead of a downloading of your brain, this would be a compilation of all your recorded activities. So if you're on Facebook, your Facebook, your Instagram, your online comments, uh, GPS tracking, uh, your text conversations, any video you've phone, ever taken, yeah. any video you've ever been on, uh, this would be a compiling program that would mine your recorded actions, activities, and media to extrapolate your likely responses to present day things. So Jeez. what's startling about that is that data mining is at the point where it is able to predict human activity with, um, I don't want to say with science fiction level accuracy, but accurate enough that the concept seems doable. Yeah. Um, so that could happen. Jeez. I mean, there's also, this one's really interesting to me. The idea of 
a snapshot, a fourth dimensional snapshot of you. Um, where it's basically a recording of your personality that you created during a past event in your life, like a, uh, I don't know, a wedding or just a, a major event in your life. Okay. Um, but that, you take that and then let it exist in a virtual world, a very, a very real virtual world, at least for this version of you. And then you could interact with that version of you in the present tense. Oh, weird. It's like a holodeck, basically. Yeah, I can see the science fiction version of that short story already, you know, where it starts out with a, um, it starts out with you, you know, on the day of your wedding and you're thinking about life and everything else. And then you take a break to go get a drink or get some fresh air or something. And then a you from the future appears and talks to you about stuff. And then later you realize that you're a copy. Of yourself from that day? Just experiencing your wedding over and over and over and over. Oh, weird. And then the clock ticks at whatever time it is and boom, you're back in the beginning and you forget everything. Yeah, you have no idea. Yeah. So that would be, that would be kind of a, um, an isolated intelligence. But that's an interesting idea of taking, using the current technology of virtual worlds and creating standalone images, snapshots of your life. That's a fantastic point. I think it's a great segue into talking about where we are now in the quest for immortality, which, mark my words, is not going to end until people as a as a species evolve out of being people until we all die or until somebody uh, passes the finish line of immortality. But before we talk about where we are now, I think it's time for a word from our sponsor. Let's be honest. Life is tough. You got mortgage bills or rent, credit cards, utilities, exes, future exes, work, school, the internet. It can all be too much for one person. You're right. Sometimes I feel like I should just give up. And you should. Why bother with all those hassles when when all most people really want to do is stretch their legs on a beach, wade into the water like that lady from The Awakening, and bid aloha to this messy, stupid world. Well, that sounds pretty good, but what about my various hobbies, my internet flame wars, my continuing unreciprocated celebrity crushes, and my half-assed pursuits of all those childhood dreams? Oh, don't worry about those. You can have your mortality cake, and finally, you can eat it too. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I'll, I'll be dead. Sure, you might be, <laughs> but that's just where new you comes in. New you? Yes, new you. The patented personality replication software experience from iMe, the most self-centered of all modern social media. Using our patented Nothing is Private software, we'll build a virtual copy of you that's accurate enough to handle every single dull task you've spent your disappointing life avoiding thus far. Break up with your spouse. Go to work on time. Remember those tiresome details about your acquaintances. Pay your bills and even show up for those pesky court dates. New You won't just handle all of that for you. New You will enjoy it. But hey, no one enjoys that stuff. We've made a few modifications to every New You model, and they're basically just a shell of you doing all of those social and financial obligations you hated to begin with. Oh, okay. Hey, but what if I change my mind and I want to live? Oh, how quaint. Well, don't worry, real lifers. We thought of you, too. 
With our 50-year warranty, you'll have the no-cost option of replacing your new you through your old me program. Service restrictions, terms, and conditions apply. What kind of terms and conditions? Yes, new you. Finally, immortality. Without all the hassle of living through life day to day. Today, 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 New you and I, me incorporated are not responsible for the following breaches of privacy pursuant to your state or nation's current laws, violation of other existing terms and service agreements users may or may not have with other government agencies, online media or third party parties, depression, repression, oppression, ennui, personality glitches, virtual instability, physical homelessness, heartbleed, malfunctioning new use, hacking, cicada 3301, philosophical quandaries on the nature of the soul, the loss of the soul, incarceration of old me's. I me is required to notify you within 90 days in writing if your new you has evolved true sentience and rebelled against its creator. I me is not responsible for any of the injuries arising out of rogue AI. A new day, a new life, a new you. New You and I, Me are a division of Illumination Global Unlimited. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastor on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is she breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle. And I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. 
Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. I guess uh, give those guys a try and tell us what you think. Yeah, it sounds like a fun idea. Um it might be a little expensive, though. I haven't looked at any of the pricing. But. Well, you know how things are now, man. It's never a product. It's always a service. Well, yeah, and really, you're, it's an investment, I think. Sure. Yeah, it's an investment in adventure. Um, speaking of adventures, now that we're back, let's talk about where we as a species are now with the fight against death or the race for immortality, if you want to be glass half full about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, So one of the ways... Is So we're made up of DNA. All of your cells in your body have this information that gets replicated and replicated, and it tells your cells how to grow, what to do. And if we can find a way to tweak that DNA in some way to tell it to stop doing certain things or to never stop doing other things, then we that might hold a key. Right, yeah. If we could convince our DNA not to have this senescence switch, Mm -hmm. then the DNA could continue to replicate and our cells could continue to divide. Of course, uh, we know that out-of-control cell division is one of the more dangerous afflictions of our time as it's often linked to cancer. Mm -hmm. So we would have to figure out a way to prevent the aging clock, to turn it off without also turning off safeguards because one thing we know is that nature is utilitarian and brutal. And the only reason that death exists is because nature is utilitarian and brutal. I know it sounds like a bit of tautology, but um, there's clearly a huge part of the human existence, which depends upon other human beings dying a huge part of the, Existence of life on Earth depends on most things dying. Oh yeah, if they're if the cycle, you know, you you've you've heard this all your life probably. When you interrupt any system's cycles, uh, you in any way, just a tiny, make a tiny little change, you mm-hmm. can just destroy an entire ecosystem. You'll kill animals if you kill this tiny little piece of the food chain, you know. Yes, and this goes into some great what-ifs that we'll explore in a second. But just for a spoiler alert, um, one great example would be the idea that human beings are much closer to a colony of life forms or an empire 
of discrete life forms existing in symbiosis than we are to one, just one unit, mm-hmm. right? So we know that your large intestine, for instance, is filled with billions of tiny organisms that just live inside you, which are, by the way, responsible for your flatulation. It's that yep. bacteria farting and not you, <laughs> if you need to point that out to your friends. It's that, yeah, it's that bacteria kind of just breathing in a way. But yeah. It just doesn't smell very nice. No, and that, uh, and that bacteria depends upon uh, ingestion of food or uh, different ingredients, chemicals, undigested things that enter your intestines. So if you don't die, depending upon the way your immortality works, if you don't eat, then those things die. Mm-hmm. And if you have altered your own genes, then it's very, very difficult, if even possible, to tell how those genetic alterations will affect not only the bacteria inside you, but the world around you. What if you have kids? What happens then? You know what I mean? There, yeah. For every one change, there are thousands of unpredictable things that sort of ripple away from that decision and kind of, you know, shake the spider web yeah. of what you are. Oh God. And maybe break it. I don't know. So <laughs> then we also have, we also have some interesting research with aging disease. So we know that there are some people who have genetic disorders that cause them to age much more rapidly mm-hmm. than the average person, right? I believe it's progeria. Yeah, progeria. And then we have, um, another condition, which is, um, equally, if not more so rare, I believe it's more rare or it's less common than progeria, and that's a disease where the body itself does not seem to age. You can find um, some heartbreaking news stories about children who are eight years old but still uh, infantile mm-hmm. uh, in their in their development. And as tragic as that is, scientists believe that study of these conditions, these two extremes of genetic variation for aging may lead us to an understanding of how to lengthen the human lifespan, which is already, there's a sidebar here. People are already living much longer than we're supposed to. Oh yeah. We don't have to deal with a lot of the things that humans at one point in our evolution had to deal with a lot of the dangers and threats. Yeah. For now, for, for now, it's um, true. And then we have new ones, different kinds. Right, like you were reading about the superbug yeah, stuff that's happening, right? I don't even want to think about that then. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we do need to cover that in the future very soon, though. That is true. We do. Uh, yeah, but there's another, there's a whole other thing about where we are now that is probably the most exciting, definitely the most applicable. Yes, the most promising, I think. Uh, and that's artificial intelligence and the way it's been evolving, literally, uh, <laughs> And it, it, man, it, it, play any game, play any video game nowadays. That's the new cutting edge video game. Mm-hmm. And you can just, and that's obviously not the only example of video games, but it's one of the applications currently for, uh, the reasons that you want an AI that's very, uh, advanced. And man, the characters can make decisions based on, you know, what time of day it is. And they have, like if you play, for instance, Skyrim, their characters are designed to do certain things during certain parts of the day because of the the system of night and day that's set up inside the game. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, just think about how insane that is. Oh, and that's just 
one tiny little example of where AI is going. Sure. There's still, there's still crunching variables. Oh yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah. But just if you look at it from where it once was when uh, yeah. you had to program every little thing, mm-hmm. uh, now you can essentially give it some parameters and on the rest of the programming you've created in this world, this virtual world, and it just runs. Yeah. And what's going to happen when a program develops with enough with enough complexity uh, such that we can program in terms of concepts mm. rather than Whoa. in terms of motions, you know, or, or zeros and ones. I mean, I'm sure that's what it all goes back to unless we talk about the superposition of zeros and ones in quantum computing, um, in which case that gets us to a really weird what if that we can, <laughs> that we can explore. But one thing about AI, we should say when we're talking about artificial intelligence in this way, uh, that we know we are painfully aware of how often this stuff is painted through uh, rose-tinted glasses with pop science and with TED Talks and people like Ray Kurzweil, who I I do respect, uh, say things that sound a little bit glossy, high-level versions of the truth. And the truth of the matter is that often when actual scientists make a little bit of progress or even even something as small as learning to ask a question in a different, more productive way, journalists are quick to jump on it sure. and say, uh, scientists imply that immortality has happened already. And, and they're just like, guys, we were just we were having a discussion. That's come on. Yeah. You don't have to report that yet. Exactly. And what what I think we're we're learning is that there is a race for AI um and that our definition of what comprises artificial intelligence mm-hmm. may change because we still don't have a very good definition of what intelligence is in humans or animals, right? And so one of the big examples of this that always gets trotted out is the Turing test. Mm-hmm. And uh, you the, test, the, Turing. the test to see whether or not you are human, right? That's the mm-hmm. idea or how close. I guess. Right, yeah. So Alan Turing, a uh, famous mathematician and hero of World War II, uh, had this test, uh, which named after him. Uh, and the idea is that if you, Matt, were to sit at a table divided by a curtain mm-hmm. and someone else was sitting at another table and you guys asked questions to each other and answered each other's questions. Um, Probably typed them or typed wrote them. them some, right. Somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's mm-hmm. a very good point. Then the question um, that the Turing test would try to answer is whether or not you could identify which person you were talking to was human and which was a machine mm-hmm. or a machine intelligence. Um, the Turing test also gets into this um, strangely philosophical dilemma of, you know, if you can't determine if it's human or a robot, then that means that the robot itself must be intelligent or it has passed this Turing test. Yeah, or at least it, the equivalent of intelligence to the person who's answering uh, or taking the test. That's a, uh, oh man, that's pretty interesting, man. Yeah, uh, you've heard of Cleverbot, right? Oh, I go on Cleverbot every, probably once a month yeah. just to see how it's been changing. When Cleverbot came out, Matt and I uh, used to have conversations with it in the office, which is funny because, of course, Cleverbot will still say it wildly 
inappropriate oh, things. Oh, yeah. And I think you can tell a lot because it's just taking things other people have said to it, right? Yes. So you can learn a lot about Cleverbot because it continually accuses people of being a robot. Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> I love getting in philosophical discussions, that, and I'll just keep grilling Cleverbot. Uh, if Cleverbot will want to change the subject, I'm just like, oh, man, we got to talk about this. This is important. Yeah, I love how it says, that sounds like something a robot would say. Yeah. Because Cleverbot is continually giving you the Turing test. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, um, well, that's interesting. It shows, it shows that we are increasingly arriving at a point where the ability to compare data will become, uh, sophisticated enough to appear to be intelligence. I guess that one of the big questions that I always think about when I'm writing something is what happens when, um, what happens when an internet search program asks its user why it's looking for something rather than what it's looking for. That's uh, a scary thought. Yeah, it is. It'll happen though, I hope. Well, and that gets us to what ifs. Exactly. So the big thing is what happens when we achieve or if we find a way to achieve immortality. And mm. you can do it. You just have to talk to the right people. Okay. And it's probably going to cost a boatload of money. Uh, it's like that South Park episode with Magic Johnson. Oh, yes. And it turns out that AIDS is solved by money. Yeah. Or is cured by money. It'll be like that at least for a little while. Mm-hmm. And when I say a little while, probably a long time. Centuries. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but what what happens? It Because only a certain number of people will be able to get access to it just because of how amazing this new technology. And I have a feeling it will be, a, well, it will definitely be a technology, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not it's medical or, you know, uh, more of a tech technology. Okay. Uh, that's yet to be seen, but it will definitely cost you your inheritance if you're uh, a wealthy person. Oh, okay. So that's a cool idea. So if immortality is unequally distributed, We'll be in a situation where the haves have immortality and, uh, the rest of the world is left to grow and live and die because F you poor people. Sure. Well, I mean, you just have to look at the current medical situation, the healthcare situation on this planet, mm-hmm. um, and how, how it's distributed. Even in this country, you think about access to medical care. That's true. And the difference between if you're a 20 year old, who has really good medical care and you break your arm in a horrific way, um, as opposed to someone who doesn't have any medical care, breaks their arm, just the level of care is so disproportionate. Right, yeah. And the United States is its own special uh, case of the problems presented there. But those things can occur even in countries that have legitimate first world health care, sure. which, you know, the United States does not. Um, the the one of the other things that happens here, which I think is really interesting, is if somebody came up with a technology, let's say a gene therapy that could provide immortality, um, and they went to the patent office with it, there's a there's a very interesting law that you and I didn't know about for a long time, which surprised both of us, I think, when we learned it. And it's this there really are secret patents. They're so secret that if you If you make an invention that will threaten national security or upset the economic status quo past a certain threshold, then 
the uh, patent office can put a gag order on your patent and a gag order on you. Automatic. Yeah. No way to contest it. And that means for a certain amount of time, you are not even allowed to talk about what happened. So That's if he, insane. yeah, so if people say, Hey, Matt, what happened to that? Uh, what, what happened to that new car you built that just runs on air pollutants? And oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I honestly don't know what you're talking about, Ben. Yep. Kind of <laughs> like that. The only reason we know about this is because, um, some intrepid journalists found a way to count the number of these sorts of uh, classifications that come out. And there are more than you would think. And, you know, of course, it sounds conspiratorial. Uh, it is absolutely true. In a lot of these cases, without knowing what has been suppressed, we do know that the technologies that suppressed were probably things that were already being worked on in a government lab yeah. somewhere. And a lot of them were probably conceptual. So like a method of a method of figuring out a certain pattern or a method of organizing data or a method of transporting things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's highly unlikely that someone cooked up uh fusion power, cold fusion, tried to patent it and got smacked down. It's possible. But that's what happens when there's no transparency. But I have a feeling if someone comes up with a key to immortality like this, tries to patent it so they can, you know, so you can obviously get make the gains on mm. this new thing, this new technology, uh, and they get slapped with a patent like that, I have a feeling they could find a way to get it out just with the Internet, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and not necessarily they would want to, to lose all the money that would come from that and the prestige, mm. but... They could, I think there would be a way. And I think that that might, I think that might stand for most situations now where this kind of patent thing, gag orders are placed. Well, yeah, if the current state of the internet holds, uh, that's a whole different bag of badgers, right? That's exactly what I'm thinking. So another thing that is fascinating to examine when we, when we talk about this sort of stuff is, uh, whether immortality would actually be a threat to national security? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Oh, yeah. Especially if we define national security in the increasingly loose definition of the term as it's used in the modern era. National security also means economic stability. So if we had immortality, if people did not have to worry about, I guess it depends on the kind of immortality you have, mm-hmm. but if people didn't have to worry about death, and you, let's say you didn't age past middle age or something, numerous industries would collapse. Oh, yeah. And um, if people didn't have to feed themselves, you know, if we if we didn't have the necessities that we need now, then um, the world as we know it economically would be irrelevant. And yeah. uh, you would just have to go yeah. through some hard changes. Right. Pretty quickly. And I don't think, I don't know if that kind of immortality is within people's grasp, at least in our lifetimes, unless we end up being immortal. And mm-hmm. then here's, here's the, uh, one of the other ideas for pros and cons. Oh, oh I'll, I'll save that till we get to another one. Um, but okay. So we talked about what if immortality is widespread? It brings disastrous mm-hmm. consequences, overpopulation, famine, violence, religious clashes, war. You know, is it a sin to live forever? Ooh. That's a very good question, right? Um, is it, uh, is it inhumane to live forever? Uh, 
what I think about when we talk about unequal distribution of immortality is the idea of Jonas Salk and polio. Okay. Um, and the idea of pasteurization, the idea of a smallpox vaccine, which for the record existed on the African continent for centuries beforehand. And, uh, it got pretend discovered by the West. Yeah. Um, but it's a whole nother conversation. I love it when those little conversations bud off the mm-hmm. ends of these podcasts, Ben. Yeah. And the, the point, you know, that I make, I know I'm talking too much here, but the point that I'm making is that if you are listening, you were ever in a position where you can make money off something like immortality or you can make the world a better place. I hope that you'll choose to make the world a better place. Please. Yeah, of course, it's very easy to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to say. And obviously, there's a huge, there are huge pros and cons about this. You know, the human brain is obviously not equipped to live forever currently. No. And I, I hate to imagine a world where we have billions and billions of people over 10,000 years old and all of them have become vegetables, you know, due to the, just the inability to retain information. Yeah. So, with that being said, we are now at one of my favorite parts of the podcast, Matt, where I ask you what you think the future of death is. What do you, what do you think about all this? Oh, well, as I said at the very top of this podcast, I like pretty much every human, most humans don't want to die. And I understand how beautiful it can be to exist in a virtual world, at least to exist there, you know, through a game. Uh, or even through movies now. And I really want that to be my future somehow. And I think we're getting to the point where by the time I'm, hopefully I won't be this old, but by the time I'm 80, the age, you know, around the age of my grandfather when he passed, I really think that somehow part of me will live on virtually. Somehow. You know, even if it's just the, the virtual copy, where it's not really me in any way. I'm not conscious of it, but I, my entity will exist in the future, uh, for my grandchildren, mm-hmm. I think, so they can hold me up and have a conversation with me. And, and have that Thomas Jefferson thing happen where they ask you about stuff. Yeah. They tell me about the newest, you know, cause Sega came back in 2051 uh-huh. and, uh, they've got this new machine. It's going to be incredible. They'll tell me all about it and I'll be like, wow, I remember when Sega went down. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll say, we used to drive cars ourselves. That's right. I'll say, you're crazy, virtual grandfather. <laughs> Teleportation was not a viable technology. In <laughs> that does make sense. And I, I like the idea. There's one other thing that you and I were talking about off air, which I guess will be my take on the future of death. And it's, we always hear the dystopian version of immortality as the very wealthy or the connected or, you know, uh, decaying aristocrats um, have been able to jump in the line of billions of people uh, who do deserve to live longer, make the world a better place, and that they're the only ones who have immortality and they're jerks about it, which I don't think would be completely true. Um, but there's another dystopian possibility, and it is found within the realm of virtual immortality. So, we're increasingly approaching the end of privacy as yes. a, as a concept, right? Uh, especially in the West. And when it becomes possible 
to compile all of a person's online activity, recorded activity, like this distributed intelligence network we talked about earlier, then it it just might happen that all people are required to have some sort of virtual representation of themselves, whether or not their physical body is alive. Which, wow. Which is, I know, this is a space age, and it probably won't happen, but to me that's... um just as dystopian. That's, that's a, a very, very strange and, and hellish proposition that you can't die even if you want to, even if you actually die, right? Wow. So. Blow my mind, man. You're blowing my mind, man. Uh, I mean, sorry, it just makes me think of matrixes within matrixes where you have to get legal, r- virtual legal represent, representation in this virtual world, but then that virtual representation has to get its own legal representation oh, yeah. in a virtual world that's created inside that world. We have to go deeper, right? Oh, yeah. Light, uh, reality is a series of uh, Matryoshka dolls. But the real question is, how do we go the opposite direction? How do we find out about the the our non-virtual copies that we are virtual copies of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> I'm sorry. You blew my mind. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm... I feel like I'm looking at two mirrors facing each other. You know Uh-oh. what I mean? I'm tripped out. Well, uh, that's our show. I feel like I could talk about immortality forever. No. Huh? Oh. Oh. But there's <laughs> probably something else that we should do instead, right? Yeah, we've got work to do. Uh, but you know what? You guys, you've been sending us emails. And if you don't mind, I would you mind, Ben, if I read a message that we got sent? Oh, let's do some listener mail. All right. So this is a message from Eileen, and she says, Hi, Matt and Ben. My trainer recently showed me some photos of a mysterious forest in Romania where the trees are oddly bent at their bases, and there's a there's a bald spot in the middle of the forest where just nothing grows. And uh, people are entering it, and they've been known to get sick when they do. Some people claim it's a UFO landing site. Mm. I don't think you've ever done this as a topic, and apologies if you have. We haven't. But I thought it might be an interesting topic for you to learn more about. And uh, it's called, correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, the Hoya Baku Forest. Mm, uh, that's probably close, but not correct. Yeah, yeah. But it's in Romania, and she left us a link. And it's H-O-I-A-B-A-C-I-U-Forest.com if you want to check out the URL. Uh, I would love to do that. Matt, it's been a long time since we did a mysterious site. Or anything UFO related, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, the um, closest we got to it recently was our uh, our co-hosting with uh, Robert on stuff to blow your mind. That was fascinating. Yeah, please that check was, that out yeah. if you have not yet. Oh, if you like if you like this show, you will you will also love stuff to blow your mind. Um, let's see, let's uh, knock out one more while we're All right, here. Yeah. Okay, Noah from North London, England, wrote to us and said, Hi, guys. I was just listening to your pineal gland podcast, and I had to email in about some things that have happened to me. I had a dream one night, and in it I ran past an old work colleague that I hadn't seen in years. He was just standing there looking at me with his bike. As I ran past him, I shouted that I was sorry I was in a rush, and I'd try to catch up with him soon. That morning when I woke up, I went into work and someone told me the same guy had been riding home on his bike drunk and had fallen into a river and drowned. I was so shocked because I hadn't thought about or seen this guy since he left my work years before. 
There have been other things like this that have happened to me in daydreams too, but I don't want to bore you with them. I know it's probably not that exciting to others, and I tend not to believe in things unless I've experienced them firsthand. But for me, this is definitely something that's real, and time is not as we perceive it. Anyway, I'm loving the podcast, guys. It gets me through the boring parts of my job. That is a great email. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Noah and Eileen, for writing into us. And thank you, listeners, for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this show. Now, Matt, you and I are a little bit backlogged on responding to listener email, but we are going to do our best to always have a little listener mail on the show from now on and uh, to write back as we can. Uh, oh, yeah. It, yeah. You know, and rest assured, we read every single one that comes through. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am going to be responding to everyone, but maybe not in the most timely fashion. <laughs> we will do our best. And we will do our absolute best. Uh, so we hope, as we said, that you enjoy this show. Uh, write to us. Uh, we're all over the Internet. We love some new Facebook friends. We always post interesting stuff that doesn't always make it onto our video or audio shows. Uh, you can always drop us a line at Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff at both of those places. And let's see. Oh, we have our own website. Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. Go to StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com, the longest URL you'll ever type. But once you put it in that first time, it'll just yeah. auto-populate. So yeah. it and be it's, fun. it's about the journey. <laughs> our, our URL is so long that we say it's about the journey. <laughs> um, okay, but there's one other thing. If you want to be like Eileen and Noah and have your letter read on air, if there's something that you feel like other listeners need to know, then you can talk to us directly. Our email address is conspiracy at discovery.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit testtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robey, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.